And as we jump back into the Gospel of John after Easter, especially on a day like today when last week it was all bright and sunny and everyone was in here, and today it might seem like Easter Sunday has in some sense almost ruined the story, jumping back into John's Gospel as we jump backward in the story. It might feel something like watching your favorite TV uh, series of yours and someone gave away this week's episode, but you're still kind of catching up. To, to this week. So I, I want you to uh, be encouraged today from our text that the life of Christ actually doesn't work this way at all, to where if you know the future, that it ruins the beginning. Knowing the end doesn't ruin the beginning or the middle. In fact, it actually elevates it and makes it even better. Now, this is so because the works of Christ do not affect the world in a linear pattern. What I mean by that is it doesn't start at the birth of Jesus here and as his life goes on, his death, burial, resurrection, and so on, affects the world only then and there at that time. You know, the life of Christ affects the world in a cyclical pattern, kind of in this uh, uh, cycle going over and over and over again. In fact, the story of our lives should be constantly marked by this cyclical pattern in a diversity of ways. At all different times, you should be living out this cycle of Christ. It's not as if the resurrection only impacted us on Easter. It impacts us today. It's not as if the coming of Christ only affects us on Advent, in Advent season. All those seasons are affecting us, and all those moments in his life are affecting us every day at different times and in different ways. So every day, every moment, we should be living lives patterned after the whole life of Christ. Jesus should be affecting us in a plethora of ways. And as we do this, it brings a new kind of experience to humanity. Humans live in a different way because of Christ and what he has done. Because we know the pattern of Christ, we also know what comes next instead of being left in the dark. Okay. So what I want to show you this morning is that following Christ means our lives will be shaped by his Life, And I'll flesh that out, what I mean by that, in a little bit. So the, the, the pattern of death, burial, and resurrection especially have a direct influence on our lives even after his ascension. So here we are, uh, the Sunday after Easter. We're still going to be talking about the resurrection and how that really brings us hope even post-resurrection. So if you would... Join me in your Bibles by turning to John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 16 through 33 this morning, finishing out the chapter. These are the words of God. Church, let's give this respect and honor this morning as God's word. Jesus says, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and... And you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I mean by saying a little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, 
he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me, and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you're speaking plainly and not just using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you not believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and you will leave, you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The word of God for his people. Let us pray. Father, we come to your word this morning, sitting under it as subjects to it. Praying that we would be submissive to it. Praying that we would honor it as truly your word. And Lord, we pray that as we humble our hearts this morning, sitting at your feet, asking to learn from you, I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would help us to see clearly your son Jesus speaking to us. Lord, the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words to be handed down to us through the ages, to where we can be here in Village Church as a body reading them, I pray that that same Holy Spirit that resides in us would bear witness of the truth that you're speaking to us this morning. Connect us to the true meaning, the true message that you would give to us. And Lord, I pray that as I speak, as I preach this morning, I pray that my words would be honoring to you, that the meditations of our hearts and our minds might be pleasing to you, O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a little bit of context, if anyone hasn't been here uh, through this series, if you were here maybe just on Easter or uh, trying to catch up, the context is, is that the disciples have been told that Jesus is going to leave them. Jesus says, I'm going away. And they're still trying to understand exactly what Jesus means by going away. And we've talked a lot about this if you've been here through uh, this John series. So over the last few chapters, it's become very clear to us, at least, that Jesus is warning them of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. And this, of course, leaves them in a state of sorrow and confusion. We've kind of been watching it all play out. So these chapters have really been a series of ways in which we look at how we can cope with the hard realities of life because that's the way that it connects to us, right? We're able to look at this story and say, well, we know the ending. But this does teach us something about how we live our lives. Even though we know what plays out in their story, we don't know what plays out in our story. But we do know, as we just sung, who holds tomorrow. So that's kind of been the overall theme as we go through these, this discourse where Jesus is telling them that he's going away. Now, some of these things... As I said a couple sermons ago, were not spoken to us in the same way that they were to the disciples. The writing of Scripture under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for instance, 
was distinctive to the apostolic witness. None of you are going to be writing any Bible books, okay? And if you are, come talk to me. I have some words for you. <laughs> but, but, the, but there's some takeaways that just don't carry over, right? When we're looking at the disciples, we know what happened. They don't. So it doesn't always quite connect right up. But that does not mean that there isn't any application for us today in these conversations. It's easy to kind of check out when we know the ending, right? So the question is, is how does this apply to us post-resurrection? Right? We just celebrated Easter. We know that the resurrection is at the end of this story. How does this connect us? Since we did not see Christ physically, we have not had to wait these, this three days in confusion and sorrow at his death. Right? Because we, we know the ending. We haven't witnessed the bodily resurrection of Jesus either. So how does this leave us with any kind of connection to this story today? Well, there's two things that connect us primarily to this story that the, the, the disciples are living out in real time in their day. Now, the two things are the fact that we live in the same fallen world, and also we're worshiping and looking at the same Jesus Christ. Those two things haven't changed. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And we are still living in a sinful world. Yes, it has changed, but it's only changed because the same Jesus is the one affecting the world. It is still a fallen world. So the first way that this connects is that we still live in this fallen existence as the disciples did. The same griefs that burden them are the same kind of griefs that are going to be burdening you. And because we live in a fallen world, we will all, and I do mean all, we will all experience anguish and sorrow as we see in verse 20. Jesus says, you will all experience this. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy because sin has infected and affected everything in this world. That is true of everyone. We're all going to, in some sense, be weeping. We're all going to, at some time, uh, be lamenting in our lives. And oftentimes, our weeping and lamentation will even be the cause of the world to rejoice. They're going to look at it, and they're actually going to have a little bit of a smirk on their face because we live in the same fallen world. Now, we also are worshiping the same risen Christ, as I said. So suffering and death is something common to all people uh, because we all live in the same world. But another reason this connects to us is that we're dealing with the same Jesus. Jesus hasn't changed any. He is the same to us as he was to them. And if you look down at verse 33, you'll notice Jesus speaks of living in these two opposing realities at once. Look with me at verse 33. I don't know if you caught the way that he says this, but it just really struck me when I read it. He says, I have, I, I've said these things to you, that in me, there's the first place, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So what this tells us is that following Jesus doesn't remove us from the world. This is still the same context that the disciples lived in. It's same, the same context that we live in. It doesn't remove us from the pain and the suffering that everyone experiences. You can live in the world, but yet still not be of the world. Sound familiar? Right? He, we are called to live in the world, but not of the world. You can live in the world that is filled with tribulation. And also at the same time, almost paradoxically in parallel, you can also live in Christ who gives you peace. Where these two existences can live side by side, living in the world in tribulation, living in Jesus who gives you peace. And when we simplify it down like this, we can see that it doesn't really matter whether or not we were living in Jesus's day for this to connect to us. 
Because we live in the same world, same fallen world, because we're looking at the same Jesus, the application is nearly identical. And that application is that Jesus turns our sorrow from living in a fallen world into joy and peace through his death, burial, and resurrection. It connects to us. And this is the cyclical pattern that we as believers will experience. It was not just the disciples who were directly impacted in their daily lives by this series of events. You should be also if you are following him. That pattern of death, burial, and resurrection should be the cycle of our lives that you're living in all kinds of different ways. Now let me unpack that a little bit. What do I mean by living out the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Well, first, think about death. Have you ever felt that things were going really great in the world? That, that things were just sunny and all, all things were going good, and then all of a sudden something happened that felt like death. It came out of nowhere. Maybe it even was death, a death in the family. You didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden you're just burdened with anguish, sorrow. You're lamenting. Well, Jesus, when he's talking about this in this text, you'll notice he, he likens this to a pregnant woman uh, kind of going about her business. Then all of a sudden she realizes that her plans for the day are wiped out. She's about to birth a baby. And all the women in this room that have birthed a baby, you know birthing a baby is not fun. Right? You know the baby is fun. There, there is something that comes on the other side of that. But when you are going into labor, they call it labor for a reason. It is not fun. I've ex- experienced it three times. And I can tell you as a fact, it is hard. It feels like you're hitting this point of death. I think all three times there's been a, a point in the labor where uh, my wife has said something to the effect of, I, I can't. Like, we can't, I can't go forward. And that is what I'm talking about in this death cycle where you just feel like you can't go any further. This is the bottom and, and there's nowhere else you can go. And in that delivery phase, we can feel sorrowful. You're, you're really feeling sorrow. You can feel maybe depressed even. So remove it from the, the, the birthing context, whatever your context is, whatever your pain is. You, it could bring about real depression, real anxiousness, and it's very real in that moment. It's not something that you can just kind of step aside and say, well, all right, we're not going to do this now. No, it's a lot thicker than that. It's a lot deeper than that. And this is the normative pattern for all of life now. Death. This is the, the fallen world that we live in. It is actually fundamentally a tragic reality when we just try to live in this world through the lens of the world. It's tribulation. It's bad news, church. So there's death. What about burial? Well, maybe you were in a season of lamenting and uh, uh, maybe even depression for even an extended period of time. Like this stretched out a bit. Maybe you were perplexed because the world was even rejoicing at your defeat. You kind of got down in the dumps, and it seems like everywhere you look, no one cares. And if anything, they're almost like enjoying your misery, right? The misery loves its company kind of thing. It may have seemed that the world enjoyed where you were at. And Jesus even speaks of this. The, the world will rejoice at your suffering. It's hard to take that in. This is difficult. All people will in some degree or another experience this. It's difficult, and it's part of a fallen reality. But only the believer is able able to move past this. This is where things start to change a little bit for us as Christians, right? The world can stay stuck in this pattern of tribulation. That's where the cycle goes. The cycle of the world does not get better. It only gets worse. But Christians, when we start to shift a little bit with repentance, like we've been talking about uh, this morning, repentance changes things. When you start to uh, eat dirt, 
and bury the hatchet and start to, to move forward. The believer decides to move on. When you start to do this, something changes. Now, many of you have been in this phase in your life. You've been in this burial phase. This is the, the phase where it feels like you're just waiting a while. Did you notice that language in verse 16? Jesus says, a little while. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Right? You know what that means, many of you. You've, you've experienced where uh, you're in this a little while and then a little while longer. And then you will see. Okay, You know what I'm talking about. You know this season that you get in, kind of this funk. I've heard people say it that way. I'm, I'm just in a funk. I'm in this season. I'm in this, this period. This is burial. You've seen death. You've seen burial. What about resurrection? This is where things start to change. Now, some of you who have been in this season and have made it all the way through this cycle, all the way through this pattern, you know what's on the other side. Because in the most mysterious way, you can't even explain it really, God resurrected that situation and worked it all out for the good in such a way that you could look back on it and it's no longer causing you pain and sorrow and lamentation. It's actually joy, turning your sorrow to joy. And you can't even actually make sense. You can't, you can't explain it to someone. All you can say is like, yeah, that hurt really, really bad. And actually somehow that brings me joy because God has brought me through it. And this joy was something that no one could take from you because of how real that experience was. Jesus says here that the world can't take that away from you. They can't strip you of that joy. Like the love toward a newborn child, that joy is resilient and unaffected by whatever else is going on. Now, all three times I've watched my wife give birth, I've, I've seen this. I've seen the, the, the woman experience this, giving birth, going through awful tribulation, awful time. And then the baby comes, and it seems like nothing else in the world matters. Right? They're holding that baby, and they get so much joy from that that it doesn't even matter that downstairs they're being sewed up, and they're probably still bloody, and it's a, it's a mess. Right? Not to, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to be too visual. Uh, but, but you know, women, what it's like. I've seen my wife smiling uh, on her face while she's being stitched up. Okay? It, it's something that's so bizarre to where this joy is just unaffected. It's unaffected by any, anything else that's going on because of what God is doing. And that's what Jesus actually likens this situation of joy or sorrow turning to joy to, to, to a woman giving birth. Now, maybe it was an illness. I don't know what your particular thing you've went through is. Maybe it was sickness. Maybe it was relational conflict. You were having troubles in your family. Uh, perhaps even a financial struggle. You were, you were not making ends meet. Uh, your bills were t- starting to pile up. You were reaching into debt. You start to feel buried under debt in your burial, right? And then God worked it out in some odd way. And whatever that particular sorrow or tribulation was, you were able to look back and see that God resurrected that. He brought us from a state of death, burial, and he brought about resurrection. He brought reconciliation. He redeemed that situation. Why? For his glory, yes, but also your joy. So that you could have real joy. Have you felt like that before? You've you've sensed God working in your life. That pattern of resurrection. Death, burial, but also, yes, resurrection. So what you see is we come to realize uh, that that there's there's not just some carryover when it relates. When we look at this text this morning to see how it relates to us today. It's, It's the very essence of Christianity. This pattern of in this waiting period, trying to figure things out, this isn't just something that the disciples experienced. It's something that all of us as true Christians will experience. We talk about living a life that conforms to Christ, but we forget that the pinnacle of Christ's life as it relates to us is what? His death, his burial, and his resurrection. Living through the lens of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus isn't just something that the disciples experienced way back then. And we look at the story and we're like, oh yeah, we know how that worked out. No, 
That still affects us today in this cyclical pattern where we can always go back and realize, wow, that's still working on me in this area. And over here, I'm in burial. And over here, I'm in, in resurrection. Over here, I'm in death, right? We, we realize that this, this there's wheels turning at all times affecting us. It's, it's something that we as Christians should all be experiencing and actually looking at all of our situations through that lens. When we go through seasons of death, both physical and spiritual, we, we see God working. All of us know that waiting period of undergoing the patient and also sorrowful time between death and resurrection. And when we see the world in this pattern, it actually teaches us to look at it in the right way. That three-day burial for the disciples might be three years for you. And you're going to really, really need to know this pattern when you're in that three years. It's going to be the hope that holds on, that you hold on to. It's going to be the thing that actually sanctifies and saves you through that event. Because if you're not, you're going to wallow in the pattern of the world that only sees death. You can't move past it because you're stuck on tribulation. Because that's all that is going on in the world. In the world, you will have tribulation. But in Christ, you will have peace. In Christ, Christ turns our sorrows into joy and peace. And this isn't just for the disciples. This is a promise to you as well. This is a promise to all of his disciples generally. Okay, And this joy and peace isn't something that the world knows exactly. This is a different kind of joy and peace. It's a resilient joy and peace. You've probably noticed uh, through some of these sermons that I've been talking about this resilient joy. It's because the world can't take this away from you. It's unaffected. Let me read verse 20 for you. Verse 20 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. So the world cannot take away this joy and peace. Why? Because it transcends this world. Now, there's other places in Scripture where Paul talks about this. Do you remember where where we have this peace that surpasses all understanding, this peace that transcends our thinking, right? This is the way that the Bible speaks about this joy. The world can't make sense of it. It's deeper and more real than the world that we know. It's this almost different reality, this parallel reality to where there's the world and then there's Christ. Where these come together for us as the believer, where it's on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, So so the joy that we get from following Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection is immune. I, I like to speak about it in that kind of way. It's immune to all of life's sufferings. The, the suffering of the world can't take that joy from you that you have as a Christian because you are immune to it because Christ has overcome the world. And realizing that this overcoming of the world is not an obliteration of it is important as well. Okay, It's a redemption of it. That's how we can take the, the, the pain and sorrow and take those scars and be able to use those scars for glory. Okay, It's your, your pain and your suffering that you're going to. That's part of your experience that you're actually going to be able to look back at that one day. It's not something that you're going to look back and have to shield your eyes because it still hurts. No, that actually becomes your joy because you've seen what Jesus has done, where he's taken the old and he's transformed it. He's buried it and it's sprouted into something new. It's bloomed into this resurrected glory that you get to look back at and say, wow, that hurt really, really bad. I think about when my wife talks about the delivery stories. If you didn't know what comes at the end of it, you would say, why did you do that three times? <laughs> but it's because of the joy that surpasses that. It's the joy that transcends that. You can't even speak about it. You can't explain it because it's so deep. It's so thick. It's so real. And that's the joy that Jesus wants for you this morning. That's the joy that Jesus wants to you to be able to experience in the midst of suffering and hardship. Now, we've talked about Christian joy. 
Now, I want you to consider the fact that Jesus talks about a rejoicing that the world will have. It's almost this pseudo joy. I mean, the world talks about being happy, don't they? They talk about joy, but it's not the same kind of joy that they're participating in. Jesus even says the world will rejoice. What does he mean by that? Is it real, true, lasting joy? No. It's completely vulnerable in the worst of ways. This joy is short-lived with no promise of resurrection. Jesus doesn't promise any world, anywhere that in the world you will have joy. Right? Jesus doesn't pr- promise anything but tribulation. It's a roller coaster of contingency when it comes to worldly rejoicing because why? It feeds on others' pain. Misery loves its company. It actually gets what little bit of joy it does, stealing it from you. The different thing about joy and Christianity is that it doesn't steal from anyone else. It actually rejoices in the work that Christ has done for us, and it's not stealing it from Christ either. Right? We get a, a resilient kind of joy in Christianity, but the world, they're, they're, they're searching up and down for this. Party to party, high to high, doing all kinds of things to numb themselves. They're desperately seeking for Christian joy with no lasting solution. It's tragic. It's, it's a world of tribulation. And in this cyclical, cyclical pattern of the world, which is always going back to more death, it's anguish-drenched anguish hangovers over and over again. I want to I get numb. I want to get high. Where does that lead you? It leads you down in the dumps. It leads you with a hangover. It leads you feeling awful, not resurrection. Christian joy is the opposite of that. When we run to Christ, when we run to that true joy, seeking joy in Christ, he actually promises to give it. That's when we get the resurrection. When we start to ask Jesus for the things that he says, I'll gladly give you. I'll turn your sorrow into joy. I'll make your hearts to rejoice. That's what Jesus is offering to us. That's the beautiful thing about Christianity, that all of your pain, and I do mean all, all of your pain, all of your suffering in this world is redeemed through Christ. That is an amazing hope. You, you, you all are going through your various things, and I don't know what they are, but you know that that's an amazing thing to say, what I'm going through, that hurt, that pain, that lamentation, this is somehow going to be transformed. It's going to transcend this present situation, and it's going to be good at the end of it because we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. When we love Christ, he takes our pain and our suffering, and he makes it into something new. He, he resurrects it. So all of it has meaning. And that meaning is deeper than the present pain that you're going through. It's, it's not even comparable. That's the way that Paul speaks of it. This present pain it doesn't compare to the resurrection glory that we will get. When you believe Jesus is resurrected, when you believe he is resurrected, this becomes the pattern for your resurrection. That's how it connects. It connects to us directly, both spiritual and physical, in which we, uh, we realize that there's all kinds of small little resurrections that we live in our life. Jesus even speaks about the the first resurrection as the the new birth. When we become a Christian, we are taken from a a state of death to life, right? Our souls are brought alive in Christ. That's that's the first resurrection right there. Everything is already changed for the believer and changing because of what he's already doing through the power of the resurrection. That's what it means to live through this lens of the the, the power of the, the death burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So to live a life conformed to Christ means that we constantly walk in this world with gospel glasses on, and you have to wear them. Because if you don't, the moment that you take your glasses off, that's the moment that you lose your hope. That's the moment that it all seems like tribulation. That's the moment where it seems like you're just in a dark tunnel and there is no light. Because there isn't in the world. Unless you see in that deeper vision, that deeper reality, those gospel glasses, all you will see is tribulation. But you can have real joy in the midst of tribulation. Why? Because you know the outcome of it. The gospel glasses 
the resurrection glasses teach us that there's a different pattern at work in the world now. Because Christ has entered the world, because of what he's done, there is a different outcome for the world. You, you know that you, if you're experiencing death and, and keep feeling like you're down in the burial grounds of darkness with no light in sight, that there's a deeper meaning there. And there's actually something there for you. You remember in those moments especially, when it hurts the worst, when you're crying the hardest, when you're in the deepest, darkest moment, that is the moment you have to remember that we walk not by sight. But by faith, by faith. When we, when you look in that kind of sight, when you put your gospel glasses on, when you look by by faith, you see that there's something at the end of the road. It's resurrection. It's always resurrection, and that's the pattern. The sorrow will turn to joy. That's a promise. It will not turn back to anything else. If Jesus is in control of it, if you're handing that over to Jesus, you can be assured there's going to be a resurrection. It will not end at death. So. Church, let me ask you something this morning. Do you experience this? Do you experience this joy? Because if you're not, and it's, it may be in a series of degrees too. There might be some areas where I, I don't have that joy there. Here I do though. And if there's an area in this, uh, this morning in your life where you say, there I don't have it. I don't have that joy. Well, God's word to you this morning says this in verse 23 and 24. It says, in that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Not half full, full. That your joy may be full. Your joy may be complete is what some of your translations might say. So Jesus' invitation to you this morning in that certain area that you're struggling with is ask. Ask for joy. You can, you can take your sorrow to joy by just coming to Jesus. And this is a very simple pattern, isn't it? It's just ask and you will receive. And it says ask in Jesus' name, which is important too, because that means asking in accordance with the will of Jesus, asking in accordance to what he wants and his will and his purposes. But the reality is, is that Jesus is telling us our sorrow will be turned to joy. So in some sense, we can ask anything in Jesus' name and it will be done. So that area in your life that you're struggling with, I invite you this morning. Jesus invites you this morning. Pray for joy. Pray that he will take that sorrow, that weeping, that lamentation. It might not be at the death of Jesus. It might be at the death of someone else. It might be at this hardship that you're going through. Ask for joy in the midst of that. So that in the, in the world you have tribula- tribulation, yes. But in Jesus and Christ, you will have peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. It will guard our hearts, our minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. That's where you find the joy. That's where you find the peace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. All of us are dealing with different things right now in different areas of our lives. Some areas we have full joy. We're excited and we're happy about what you're doing. Other areas, it's hard. It's hard to even come to you. It's hard to even ask things of you because things just don't feel right. We're confused. We're perplexed. As the disciples were when you were buried. And Jesus, you saw it coming. We thank you that you know us better than we know ourselves. We can say we believe in you. We believe all these things. And yet you still said, yeah, you guys are still going to scatter. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we do scatter, for the ways that we do run away when we're hurting and when we're in pain. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the things that you have said when we're in those hardships. When we're in the thick of those struggles, Lord, remind us that there is a resurrection awaiting us, that there is joy in the morning. 
Fill us today with your joy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Can you pray for joy? If you would please stand with me as we sing together, as we rejoice together uh, by singing together, Because He Lives. This is on hymn number 238, again, Because He Lives. <laughs>